day, but uh, a sanctified frog, yeah. But anyways, um, before I bring the message I feel God's given me today, um, it was interesting. Christy was up very early in the morning talking with the Lord. We had not talked about, which we often don't really talk about, what I'm going to minister on and the such. And uh, she was up praying. And God began speaking to her. So after she came back to bed, and then we both got up, had some coffee together, we started talking about her time with the Lord. And as she was talking, I just began chuckling because it was right in the vein of how God was speaking to me. But before I start today, I want to give her a chance just to bring a brief exhortation. We're going to watch a small video clip afterwards as well. And uh, anyways, why don't you welcome Pastor Christy. Amen. Good morning. I'm so excited. God is such an awesome God. He is just so, he's such a supernatural God, you know. And um, he tells us that he will show us things to come, and he will show us the secrets of his heart, and we seek him. So anyway, I was seeking him this morning. And, and um, I, I just love these times when God wakes you up in the middle of the night. It's not that you're super spiritual. I don't set my alarm clock. But there's seasons in life when God just supernaturally wakes you up at a certain time every night. And there's a reason for it. And it's a wonderful time because there's no distractions. And it's just it's wonderful to meet with him. But anyway, um, I was doing that early this morning. And um, I was praying for a sister, a very dear sister. She's not going through any problems or anything. But I found myself praying for her and exhorting her uh, before the throne of the Lord and, and just blessing her. And all of a sudden, I began to see her. And, and this is where, where we're coming in today. Uh, because I began to see her in this gigantic track. Okay? It was like an Olympic track. And she was running. She had on running clothes. And she was holding a, a torch, a lit torch. And she was running. And um, I was like, wow. And uh, then all of a sudden, it's like the, the, the lens just kind of opened up. And, and I saw all of us here in this place. We were all running. We were all carrying a torch. It's like we were in a race. Um, and and we, our torches were fiery torches, OK? So um, I'm trying to remember all this because I, I wrote it in a text. But what came to me was that we were in this Olympic-sized stadium. We were Olympian runners. When, you get, when athletes get to that place where they're in, in, in the Olympics, they have trained, they have gone through a lot. Uh, it's a huge, huge thing, and it's a huge honor to be running in that place. And surrounding them, there was this thundering crowd of people. And I immediately, God took me to Hebrews chapter 12. And it says, Therefore then, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, who have borne testimony to the truth. Our torches symbolize that testimony to the truth. Let us strip off and throw aside every encumbrance, unnecessary weight, 
Mm. And that sin, which does so readily and deftly and cleverly cling and entangles us, and let us run with patience, patient endurance, and steady and active persistence, the appointed course of the race that is set before us. The appointed course. You know, in a huge running track like that, there are lines. And most of the runners stay within certain li- stay within the lines. Right. Okay? Each one of us has a track that we're running that's been ordained by God. And, and as we stay in that line, there are hurdles along the way. And as I was, I was seeing this and, and, and just thinking of all the different people and uh, just the obstacles that the, the enemy tries to bring our way, and the voices of discouragement, and, and, and sometimes we fall, and sometimes we, we need to come and, and, and be picked up and, and strengthened, and, you know, the, the, the offenses that come to cause us to quit running the race and to just let go and to just, just say, it's it. It's, it's too hard. I'm just going to sit here. I'm just going to be here. I'm still in, in the arena, but I'm just not going to go anymore because I'm tired. And um, I remember seeing one person individually, and, and it came to me, this person was, was very weak. They were coming out of a lot, and their legs were fragile, and yet they had been running the course. And as they were getting to a point where they were just faltering, this is so powerful, I saw Jesus coming and jumping over the bandstand, and going to that one individual and just helping them and walking with them so that they could finish the race. And I thought, God, you're so amazing. Because you know where each one of us is here today. You know the hurdles, you know the, just all the stuff that we've come through, the obstacles. And yet your love is so amazing and so empowering you don't beat us down you say come on get up and you know shake it off and run but you come under us and you pick us up and you walk with us you're not ashamed to call us your brethren and so um i was just very encouraged very blessed myself personally because i have been in the arena and needed to be picked up and and god has always been faithful to me and i don't know i think Whoever's here today, you're here by divine appointment. I think God wants to just so pick you up here this morning and encourage you and strengthen you because you are going to finish this race. You are, we are, individually and corporately. We're running together. We're an army. You know, it it was interesting because I began to think of the female, you know, running, but, and then I got the understanding, it's like the church is often referred to as a female. We're the bride, and we're running in this race. So I began to see different people began to come to the fort. Dr. Wins, I saw you running. I saw the Rosales running. I saw my mom, who's 85, running. I saw different people that, you know, that the, the faces is just the names that come up and they're running the race and it was just like the crowd was just like go go those that have gone before us and are there the great cloud of witnesses family members mothers fathers 
uh, pastors, mentors, the saints of old. Can you believe all the prophets, the, the, the people that are written here in this book? They're a part of the crowd. And, of course, there's Jesus. Hallelujah. Our captain. So um, as Rob and I were talking this morning, then I remembered this clip of a, of a movie. It's not a movie. It was actually a, a, a real thing that happened. And maybe, I don't know, maybe we've shown it before, but it just so fit in with what the Lord had showed me that we found it on YouTube, and we're just going to play it here this morning. It's a powerful, powerful visual of what the Lord showed me. And then Rob told me that he was going to be ministering this morning on the great cloud of witnesses. Okay, this is actu an actual, actual footage of an Olympic race in Barcelona, Spain. Um, I can't remember the year. But anyway, the runners were running, and all of a sudden, one of the runners uh, broke his hamstring, tore his hamstring, Derek Redmond. And, uh, well, you'll see it. You'll see what happens. It's powerful. His father comes and helps him finish the race. God, huh? That's powerful. Powerful, powerful. The love of a father. 
thought it was kind of funny how everybody kept trying to some tried to stop the father forget it <laughs> it's not going to happen some who were officials who felt it important to protect the track they were supposed to I mean, what do you do with that here's a father and his son what do you do with that what is creation going to do with that when all the religious police come in and try to tell you to stop and here's God the Father who's come down to help each one of us cross the line. I tell you, that day that man won that race. That man won that race. And you're going to win yours too. Amen? You're going to finish your race. You're going to make it because God is with you. Praise God. You know, last week we were talking about God's invitation it was really coming through the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 12 where he said I, I beseech you I, I plead with you in view of the mercies of God all that God has done on your behalf in light of that that you present yourself a living sacrifice to God which is your reasonable worship it's only fitting it's only right in view of God's mercy where he picked you up and where he picked me up you know it's only right that we would give ourselves to him because if he hadn't intervened in our lives where would we be today it's scary really to think about where we would be if God hadn't intervened and Paul says in view of all of that I'm, I'm beseeching you because I can't force you and neither would God force you. God's not into forcing people. He's simply wondering if what he did for us matters enough. If it's made a deep enough impact in our lives for a response from our lives. That's what I hear God saying. He's, he's looking. And through the Apostle Paul back then, a couple thousand years back, but the voice is still sounding today to everyone who would come to a relationship with Christ after you've given your heart to Him. It all starts there just by a surrender, doesn't it? But after the surrender part's over, God says to us, I'm beseeching you that you now you take your saved self, you're freed from hell's damnation self. Your new life. You take that life and instead of just spend it in your own way that you would actually bring it back to God voluntarily in view of the mercy, in view of the love you've received and voluntarily would take your life and say, God, it is only fitting. It's only right. It's actually my greatest pleasure and my greatest joy to bring you my life as my worship living sacrifices we said that sacrifice and worship are synonymous in God's view there is no such thing as real worship without sacrifice and though sacrifice for sin is over with once and for all Jesus died sins were paid and God never requires us to die or try to pay for our sins by our good deeds and our good works that doesn't happen at all Jesus paid in full you're forgiven isn't that good news I mean, it's awesome. But that doesn't mean God's done with sacrifices. Still a lot of sacrifices. Paul speaks to it. Others speak to it throughout the New Testament. 
And Paul says, you know, uh, to do good and communicate or to be engaged, really, have koinonia. Koinonia, is, it's a fellowship word. It's communion, but it really literally means to get involved to do good and get involved and and don't just be a spectator on the sideline to do good and and give yourself give your finances give your time give your talents give your life to do good and to get involved this is something that's a well-pleasing sacrifice to the lord it's like what god's looking for he's not looking for you to jump on a cross and pay for sin jesus did it he's looking for you and for me to now take our lives and say here i am not my will, because I have one. So do you, right? We kind of have our things we would go. He's saying, just, just, I, I would love for you just to bring. Paul says, I beseech you, come and bring yourselves. I can't do it for you. You've got to make the choice. Everybody's got to weigh in with their life. Everybody got to weigh in and present yourselves. Here I am, living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to the Lord, which is our reasonable service. And if you read on in that chapter, he goes on to start explaining the gifts, what some would call the motivational gifts of the Spirit, listing various types of graces we've received individually. You know, every one of us, and he makes it very plain. I encourage you to read it. I'm not going to go there today, but he makes it very plain. Every one of us is unique in our calling. Christy mentioned it, running in our lane. We have a lane to run in. And that lane was determined by God. God, by the way, equipped you for the lane you're in. Amen. God gave you individually, knowing the path you would walk, knowing the life challenges you would face. He saw that all in advance, and he wired you and graced you with certain skills and talents and abilities in order to win and finish the race. That is the whole problem, you know, in the parable uh, of the stewards that you know the the master hands out certain amounts of resources and he says now take these and be stewards of them and few of them do good jobs they go out and they trade and they use what they've received and they and they actually make increase from the the investment the master gave to them but one of them hides the resource and he says no i'm not going to use it <laughs> i'm going to just hide it i'm going to stuff it down here and when the master comes, because he, he's, he's afraid that the master, he'd, he'd hate to lose it, then he'd really be in trouble. But the master comes back and he rebukes him. The others he commends, well done, good and faithful servants. But the one who took his talent and hid it in the earth, he says to that one, you slothful and wicked. That's strong language. It's not my language, it's the Bible's language. Slothful, a wicked servant. You should, have, you should have at least taken it and put it out there for usury. And here's the underlying message that I hear when I think of that, what the Bible calls slothful servant. Because basically what he was saying was that the, the resource you gave me doesn't have within it the ability to succeed. You see, it's in essence you're saying the gift you gave won't really succeed. It, it's maybe won't, it won't prosper. <laughs> If you don't believe in what I've given you, please hear me. That was the problem with the slothful servant. He was saying, I'm afraid that what you gave me, the grace you gave me, won't work. Like if I use it, it, it could fail. And in essence, what that slothful servant saying, whether knowingly or unknowingly, was that I don't think you're faithful, you who gave the gift, to actually cause the gift to prosper as well. I don't think you're faithful. 
And that was the thing God was upset with in the parable of the stewards. And so really the idea for us is that here I am having received certain graces and God's saying, would you at least put it out there to use? Would you at least just put it out there? Let me decide if it'll prosper or not. Let me decide how to bless it or not. Your job is to get over the fear of failure. Please hear me by the Spirit today. The fear of failing. I'm just, I'm afraid. I was afraid and I hid it. (laughs) I was afraid. You know, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. So last week, we talked about the call of God, the desire of God for all of us to voluntarily come and present ourselves, our lives, as God has graced us in his service. So we were having a home group meeting and I was talking to, uh, oh, thank you so much. I feel like I should sing you a jazz song or something. (laughs) Don't tempt me. We were having a home group meeting and having a conversation with my brother David Murray and so I just was pondering through we were talking through and somehow got on Hebrews 11 talking about the great hall of fame of those who by faith did all these amazing things and the verse came to my mind where the writer of Hebrews after listing this whole catalog of wonderful things that have happened through faith he says time does not allow to talk of Gideon and of Barak and of Japheth and of David and he goes on he lists more and just those words time does not allow for me to talk about these and all of a sudden the spirit of God just came on me and I said David I just heard the word of the Lord time does not allow I was taken by that here's the writer of Hebrews giving us this amazing account of all these people, these examples, these who've gone before us, these who've run hard their race. And then he says, I want to talk to you more, but time doesn't allow. And this sense came over me that our lives, come on, are passing us right now. And we can't keep just talking about these things. Time doesn't allow us to just keep coming Sunday after Sunday and talking about these things. Time does not permit. The whole purpose for that exhortation in Hebrews is to inspire us to run. Amen. To inspire us to get past the conversation and get into the action and the living and the manifestation of what God's after. To get engaged and to stay engaged. Maybe you already are engaged, and today you're very rolled up and very much a part of what God's called you to be doing, and you're convinced of that. But maybe you've gotten weary. Maybe you blew a hamstring like the guy in the video. Maybe you're tired. Maybe you're ready to quit. Well, maybe you're just here today because God wants to come up alongside you and say, stay the course because I'm with you. Amen? Just keep on running. Maybe, maybe you're here and, and, and you've not been yet engaged. You've really not gotten in the race yet. Maybe today's your day. Maybe today's the day. And the reason you're here today 
is because God is saying to you, come on. Because time doesn't permit for you to just sit through a sermon, another sermon. Time isn't working that way. Time is ticking away. Your life and my life are moving by us right now in these moments. And God's calling to us. You know, let me just read to you. I've got to do this because this is what the Lord, I feel, put in my heart to do. I want to just kind of take Hebrews 11, and I just want to move down and just read the list of some of the names and the people. And the diverse nature of these lives is an important part of the message right here, right now, is that there's so many different people who came through so many different things, which means to me you can put yourself in this list. You really could easily, and as far as heaven's concerned, you already are in this list. But let me just read to you. This is Hebrews 11, and I'm just going to kind of bullet right down the list here. By faith, the elders obtained a good report. By faith, Abel offered a better sacrifice than Cain. By faith, Enoch pleased God. And he was translated, taken, just scooped up by God. By faith, Noah built an ark and saved his house, his household, and ultimately the world. By faith. Think of that assignment, building an ark. Fun one, Eric. What do you think about that? By faith, Abraham launched out into an unknown land because of a word and a promise. By faith, his wife Sarah, well past the year to bear children, received strength and conceived a supernatural son. By faith, Abraham offered his only son, the one God gave him promise, son of promise, Isaac, and he received him back as a picture of Christ being raised from the dead, all by faith. That was Abraham's walk. By faith, Isaac, his son, blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. He showed them things to come. And Jacob, by faith, when he was dying, blessed the sons of Joseph and worshipped leaning upon the top of his staff. Joseph, by faith, made mention of Israel's departure from Egypt and requested his bones be brought with them, meaning that I don't believe this thing's over when you die because I want my bones in the right place because there's coming a moment by faith when I'm coming out of the grave and I sure don't want to be in Egypt on that day. Amen. Praise God. I don't want to see Egypt when I come out of the grave. I think that's what he was saying. By faith. Moses' parents, got any parents in the house today? Moses' parents hid him for three months by faith. You know, many of you parents today are, are find yourselves trying to preserve your seed, your generation in a world that's out to kill them and take them away. And you do that how? By faith. In the hall of fame is a mom and a dad protecting a child. In the hall of fame, go figure. You know, we think of all these other things. But I'm telling you, by faith, you and I are walking and running in the lane that we've received. Might not be glorious, might not look like somebody else's, but I'm telling you, the crowd is cheering for you and for me. By faith, Jericho's walls fell after seven, a seven-day march. Praise God. By faith, the harlot Rahab. <laughs> By faith, a harlot 
not even Jewish, not even a part of the promises or the covenants, by faith, this harlot did not perish or her house because she lined up with what God was doing in the hour God was doing it, by faith. That means anybody's included. That means it's not just for the spiritual got it all together group. That means it's for anybody by faith who will approach God and say, God, here am I. And if you'll have me, then I'll, I'll give you my life. You know, we've somehow gotten away, I think. I'm talking in general terms right now in Christian, Christianity, modern Christianity, at least in our country. We've gotten away from the idea that to be born again really means to make him the Lord of your life, which means that you, you've really said, I've crashed the car enough, I'm going to let you drive. I'm actually not trying to, to you know, just get you to fix me so I can go do it on my own again. I actually want you at the helm. I want you driving. I want to know your plan. I want to go your way. And truth is, he's a much better driver. He'll take you places you never dreamed you'd go. I was pondering the other day, just, just scratching my head, thinking about the things the Lord has done for me. I just, I, I just am beside myself at times. You know, I've got a high school education. High school education. <laughs> that's what I got. You know, it's, just, it's, it's kind of funny to me how God scooped me up a lot of issues, a lot of problems, a lot of challenges. And God said, you know what? I got a plan for you. I got a plan for you. Will you let me drive? Will you give me your life? Will you let me take you a different way than you're currently going? Because I'm telling you, I was going way out there. I was way out there. And by God's grace... I was able to say, yes, Lord. Yeah, sounds like a good deal, Lord. <laughs> I'm just amazed at his mercies in my life. So when I read that list, and you know, you can go on, but when I read the list, um, what hits me is how diverse it is. That's what hits me. He just got people in all different walks, different places, different experiences in life, and yet here, all of them, by God, are valued and important because he's taken the time to catalog them in their diversity as a way of saying to us, your life counts. Don't measure yourself against somebody. Just be you. Run in your lane. Be faithful to run the race that's set before you. And you'll receive your prize from the Lord. It's a diverse list. The other interesting thing I find when I read that list is the fact that God took the time to catalog it. He took the time to actually write it down. You know, the Bible says this, that there, are, there is the book of life, which is really the place where it's decided, where it's written, recorded, really, whether you've accepted or rejected Christ. God can't force that on you. He would, he would violate the whole idea if he forced it on you. So it's the place where we've made a decision, and the book records our decision, Okay? what that book, the book of life is. But there's other books also the Bible talks about. And these are books that catalog 
all of our life history and our actions and our choices, and it's the thing that's used to determine our rewards in the end. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning in verse 11, you can read concerning the principle of rewards, 1 Corinthians 3. If you want to read about the books, you can read that in Revelations chapter 21. Somebody help me. Yeah, someone in there. And uh, catalogs. You know what's interesting? When I read the Old Testament, I love this idea, and sometimes I'm a little bit um, sobered by the idea. But the kings, you know, you read First Kings, Second Kings, the Chronicles, which were the priest accounts of the kings in Israel's history. You read through that stuff, and you find out that there's a catalog of the kings and their behavior as they came into their kingship, right? So every king, so you know, Israel, the northern kingdoms had 19 kings, the southern kingdom had 20 kings, the northern kingdoms had zero good kings. Zero good kings out of the north. Eight in the south, Judah Benjamin had eight, produced eight good kings. But every king, when they came into their reign, they, some often were little kids when they came into their reign. Little guys, when they came in because of the blood that was in them, right? When they stepped in, the Bible begins an account, a, a catalog, a, re a record of how they did in their rule. This one did evil in the sight of the Lord. And he promoted idol worship. And, he, and then, you know, other ones, this one did what was right in the sight of the Lord. And it goes on that list all the activities of that king. And some really wicked and some really noble. And I was thinking about the idea that the book of Revelation says that God, Christ, through the shedding of his blood, has made us kings and priests unto God. That's what the book of Revelation says, that God has made us kings and priests. And then I began to think again on this idea that each one of us is being recorded on how we're doing with our kingship. Rob did that which was, fill in the blank, in the sight of the Lord. <laughs> That's a sober thought. But it's a very real thought. I'm squeaking. Yeah. Awesome. Who's this pretty lady giving me water and mints? my helpmate. It is, it is. Thank God. Helping me run my race. Any minute she's going to come up and let me lean on her shoulder here, I think. But <clears throat> What are we doing since we've come into our reign as kings? You know, if you're born again, please just hear it. Simply take it at face value. Take it for what it is. You are a king according to God and a priest unto God. If you're born again and you've come into that kingdom, he's the king of kings. He's the big K, we're the little Ks. But don't confuse it. He's the king of kings, right? So every king, there was a catalog made of their conduct. How they ran their race, what they're doing, what they, where they're at. And so to me, you know, what that says to me is that this is the day Time does not permit, please hear this today. Time does not permit, the writer of Hebrews says, for us to talk about these others. Because we've got to start talking about us. Time does not permit our lives. I'm just going to read to you some scriptures, not to get real heavy. <laughs> 
I know it feels kind of heavy. But you know, we need to be shaken a little bit into the reality that our lives are passing us by. And we have a calling on us. You know, I find that some messages are instructional in nature. They give you real practical details. Here's how you put your hand on this, and here's how you push this, and here's how you make that work. Other messages are kind of inspirational in nature, in the sense that they, they try to get down to the fountainhead of where you're doing life from, and they say they, they want you to get stirred up, fired up, to move us to action. We'll figure out the actions as we get going. <laughs> but got one thing's for sure, I'm no longer going to sit around. I think this is one of those messages today that says, I ain't no longer going to sit around. I don't know what I'm going to do. But bless God, I'm going to do something with my life. And maybe there'll be a little instruction in it as well. But I think it's mostly God saying to us, fan the flame. Fan the flame. Fan the flame. Don't let it go out. That's on you. That's on me. That's on us helping one another. Exhort that torch. Yeah, amen. It's, we, we're supposed to exhort one another while it's still called today. Guess what? Because it's not going to be called today forever. It'll be called yesterday pretty quick. Fan the flame. Somebody sleeping beside you, kick them. I gave you permission. (laughs) Amen. Send them to me later for counsel if they're traumatized by it. It's all right. We'll work on it. You say you did it in Jesus' name for love's sake. They're too important to let miss their calling. Amen. The catalog, the catalog, the catalog, the catalog. Names written in the book of life. Names written concerning what we do with our lives. Kings. You know that list in Hebrews, let me just read to you because the scripture speaks so, po- so boldly on its own here. Hebrews eleven thirty two, And what shall we more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah and of David also of Samson and of the prophets who through faith subdued kingdoms worked righteousness obtained promises stopped the mouths of lions quenched the violence of fire escaped the edge of the sword out of weakness were made strong waxed valiant in fight turned to flight the armies of the aliens women received their dead raised to life again and others were tortured not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection and others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings yea moreover and bonds and imprisonment and were stoned they were sawn a half were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, and you thought you were having a bad day. Being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth, and these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. And here's the reason. God, having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect, which is the reason they're cheering us on. That they without us. You see, this thing is not going to be complete. The race won't be complete until every one of us crosses the line. And that's why they're now, having crossed the line, in the bleachers, saying, don't stop now. What are you doing? If you're not going to do it for your own sake, do it for mine, they would say. Do it for Jesus' sake. 
which leads right into that beautiful next chapter, chapter 12. Wherefore, you know, anytime you see the word therefore or wherefore, what you're supposed to do is go back and see what it's there for. Therefore or wherefore, meaning what just got finished saying, the whole list of people, all that they went through, and you can insert your own thing. Those of you who've lost loved ones in, you know, in an untimely way, those of you who've lost jobs, those of you who've lost spouses, those of you, you know, I'm talking about marriages that have broken up, those of you, whatever it may be, all of the stuff that people go through by faith. Listen to that list of what people overcame by faith. You're not alone. That's the good news here. You and I are a part of a great host, multitudes who are reaching and pressing for this prize. And God's wanting to encourage us to stay in. Wherefore, seeing we're compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us run with patience the race that is set before us. I've said it before. I'm going to say it again. God's given us a running partner. Isn't that good to know? You know, people that run, I'm not a big runner by any means, except around the church a few times when God allows. Almost did it just as I said it, but I decided to hold it. Praise God. (laughs) Temptation was there. But you know, people that run long distances, I've heard that it's nice having uh, kind of someone to kind of keep pace with you, keep you going when you want to check out. You know, they kind of keep you motivated to keep moving. And here the scripture says, let us run with patience. You might not agree, but I see this as a personification, much like wisdom is personified in the scripture. Wisdom has built her house and her seven pillars and so on. It's really God himself showing up, one of his attributes, who's come alongside. So let us run. You know, whenever you're feeling alone, just say, you know, wait a minute, I'm not alone. I got patience running with me. How's it going, patience? Oh, it's going good. I'm doing great. How you doing? I'm real frustrated. (laughs) Amen. Well, I've come to run with you today. And by the way, we're going to make it today. Really? Gosh, I'm so glad you're here, Patience, because I don't have anything. I don't have any of that on my own. I just need you today. Thank you, Patience. Praise God. How you doing? I'm doing great. I'm running with Patience. Running. You sound like you're talking to yourself. Oh, no. I'm talking with Patience. Me and Patience are talking. And patience is awesome. Patience, patience understands the, the, the benefit. You know, the Bible says you have need of patience. You have need of patience. That after you've done the will of God, say after with me, after. not before, after, then you'll receive the promise. We all want the promise, but we want it before we've done the will. And the Bible says, you know, let patience have her perfect work that you might be perfect and entire, lacking nothing. She's got to work something in you. That's, that's this endurance, patient endurance. Amen. It's not fun. There's a breaking that goes on. There's a, there's a, there's a resolve. There's a shift that has to happen on the inside of us that says, you know what? Even though I want to quit, and it's okay, by the way, to say that, There's no problem in being honest. God loves honesty, actually. Jesus himself said, Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours. So be honest. This is is rotten. I don't like it. But you know what? I'm just going to, by faith, keep walking. Because we walk by faith. We run by faith. 
It's not by sight. It's not by external things. I don't care what your checkbook looks like. Somebody say amen. amen. God is bigger than your checkbook. God's bigger than all your circumstances. By faith. So, time doesn't permit. Psalms 90 and verse 9. For all our days are passed away in your wrath. We spend our years as a tale that is told. Did you know right now we're spending our years? You've been given a certain amount of them. Thank God, I think you made a good choice today. This is a good place to spend a few moments hearing, listening, looking for the voice of God in your life. That's a good investment of your time and your years. But we're spending them. Don't ever be confused about that. We are right now spending our years. James in 4 and 13 says, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist or a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Isn't it interesting how he attaches the thought of doing something to the brevity of our lives? He's basically saying your life is like a vapor. It's passing us by. It's just we're spending our years, they're moving, they're going. And, you know, I have to be honest and tell you when I was considering this message, part of me said, oh God, that sounds kind of heavy. And it just kind of sounds like people, you know, are going to get under a bunch of, Ooh. no. But then as I pondered through it a little bit further, which I've learned to do, I realized that the reality that I'm talking to today and that I believe the Spirit of God is talking to is something that we need to hear. We need to consider our lives. It's good to stop and take inventory. It is. And say, you know what? Am I spending my years the way God really would have me to spend them? Am I really in the place that he's called me to do? Am I doing the things he's asked me to do? So James picks up this idea and he says, you know, your life is passing. It's like this. Don't, don't just think you're going to do this and do that and have all these grand plans. You ought to check in with God to see what his plan is. That's what he's saying. Check in with God because you really don't know. You don't and I don't know really what tomorrow is. And just think about it. If your plan is contrary to God's plan, you know, God knows what's about to, to roll out over history. I don't know all the details, so that only God does. And so he's saying live a life that's constantly checking in with God. Live a life that's saying, if God is willing, we'll do this. That's all it's saying. It's just like, you know, are you checking in or are you just building your plans? Oh, we're going to do this and we're going to do that and we're going to all these dreams. Well, God's not against your dreams. Truth is, God's dream is better than your dream. That's a revelation in itself. God's dream is better than your dream for your life. Why? Because he loves you more than you love yourself. And because he sees more than you see. And because he has the resources to pull it off. And we, left to ourselves, will screw it up every time. We screw it up every time. So he says, listen, 
if you know to do the right thing and you fail to do it to you it's sin now sin is a hard word for a lot of people but really all it simply means is missing the mark if you, if you knew to do this and you went a different way, you've missed the mark and it's really going to cause you a lot of headache and heartache and unfortunate uh, consequences. Colossians 3, 23, I've got to give, give offload scriptures here to you. I hope you're taking notes. Colossians 3 and 23, here's what the scripture says. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. I find one of the big challenges that we face in staying true to our calling and our lane is that we subtly fall into the trap that I'm doing this for people. And if people don't pay me back with thanks with gratitude and listen we ought to thank each other and we ought to be a gracious people and we ought to encourage each other but listen if you're doing it to get the praises of men or the approval of people you've set yourself up to get discouraged to be offended absolutely and you'll stop running you will just get out of your out of your calling because people didn't give you what you hope to get and here he says listen whatever you do do it with your whole heart as to the Lord and not to men knowing that it's of him that you're going to be rewarded and let me tell you god will reward you and i much better than any person will ever reward us you might say amen to that because it's just a fact jesus says to those who who strut around and say look what i've done they blow their trumpets and so on he says they already have their reward <laughs> they got their reward and what was it oh what, aren't they a good person when God was saying, golly, they just blew that one because I was getting ready to give them something amazing. Something eternal. Something that would never fade away. And they sold, you know, it's like those old game shows where you could trade things in for certain things and you didn't know what was behind the curtain, you know? They traded in. Let's make a deal. Make a deal. <laughs> it's just the devil's ploy. I'm telling you, let's make a deal. You want curtain number one? curtain number two you know are you willing to trade and God said you, you you traded something for nothing as the old saying goes he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose give up what you cannot keep to gain what you cannot lose whatever you do do it to the Lord he'll reward you we're serving him He's the one we should be looking for his approval. I, I'm trying to get to where I need to be here today, but I've got to tell you the trap of a preacher. <laughs> you know, it used to be, still happens occasionally, but not, thank God, not as often as it used to be. It used to be after I'd get done speaking, I'd go home and I'd wonder how I did. And then I'd begin determining how I did by looking at the faces of people in my mind by waiting to see if somebody texted me and said that was an awesome sermon pastor and the most telling part would be my wife <laughs> sometimes she'd be very polite and quiet that was a sure enough sign I blew it Jesus. not often she's a great encourager until God began dealing with me about that and, and he began saying you know how about after you preach 
and you go have your lunch and whatever, that you just spend a little time talking to me about how you did. Imagine that. Ask God his opinion. How'd I do, Lord? <laughs> I have to tell you, he, he, he sees it for what it is. <laughs> I'm not sure how he's going to think about these few moments right now, me talking about all this, but we'll, we'll find out later. And if you're interested, I'll let you know. <laughs> Who are you doing it for? Rob, would you preach it if they didn't smile? Would you say it if I asked you to, knowing it would not make you popular, would you do it if it would cause people to leave your church instead of join your church? You know, Jesus in John 6 ran through this gauntlet when he said, except you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in me. And many of them turned away and walked with him no more. And then he's got just a few, the 12 standing around him. And he says, are you going to leave too? And they said, where can we go? You alone have the words of life. And then immediately after that, he says, one of you has a devil. Think about that. I mean, I mean go, you read it for yourself in John 6. He just went from what I consider to be one of the most difficult things a preacher has to do, just calling the thing you know is going to cause people to leave. He did it successfully. And then, are you leaving too? Where can we go? And he's thinking, Ah, I got a small group left. Praise God. And then he says, the Spirit of God comes on him and says, tell them one of them has a devil. <laughs> I mean, I'd be pulling God off to the side, you know, and saying, hey, can we wait a week? Can, can, I mean, like, can we do this next Sunday? Let's just recover from the moment. Are you with me? Come on. I think you're with, you're with me. I think you're in agreement. But somewhere along the line, we've got to get delivered from the need to have everybody like us so that we can simply stay true to the lane we've been called to run in. And by the way, that's not intentionally offensive. That's, that's you know, it's not like some glorying element where we go around trying to... No, I'm, I'm just talking about knowing inside of your heart that you're being true to the things God has asked of you. That's the point we need to be at. Hebrews 11.26, in that list of names, Moses, Hebrews 11.26, Moses knew that the treasures of Egypt were not as wonderful as what he would receive from suffering for the Messiah, and he looked forward to his reward. Oh, that's a beautiful scripture. Moses, he despised what Egypt could give him and he had all kinds of opportunities he was raised as Pharaoh's daughter's son he had all kinds of favor on him and yet he despised the riches of Egypt so that he could receive the reward that God had for his life and I'm telling you there's a point for each one of us where we're forced to make those kind of decisions you know, I'm either going to turn and, and let myself get pulled into the world's enticements for my life, its path, its plan, or I'm going to despise it. And here's how I'm going to do it, because I'm going to have respect for the reward that's waiting for me. I'm not going to sell myself short for a temporal something when I can have an eternal something. Psalms 90 and verse 12 says this, So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. 
Teach us, Lord. That's a good prayer, isn't it? God, teach me to number my days. Remember, we started off with this idea, time does not permit for us to talk about other people. It's time to talk about us. And now we're talking about our lives. They're about a vapor. They're coming and they're going. There's, a, there's an assignment resting over each one of us. And here the psalmist says, God, teach us to number our days so that, not that I'll get into some like morbid, oh, I'm dying. No, so that I'll apply myself to wisdom. You know, one translation says, I'll apply myself to good sense. I'll just, I'll do what makes good sense, you know? If it's true that I have a limited time here on earth, and if you don't believe that's true, you're deceived. You've got a limited time on earth. None of us really know individually how long that will be. We just don't know. That's why we're not supposed to plan all this stuff way out there without checking in with God. But he's saying, if that's true, God, help me to make sure I'm on the path for my life that you had in mind for me. Apply myself to wisdom. Let me tell you, let me give you a little important insight concerning this. I hope you're still with me. Our lives, the race, we all have a lane to run in. And heaven and the cloud of witnesses are watching and cheering. And God is saying, I want my people to present themselves to me so that I can help fit them into their roles. I can help fit them into their functions. I can help everyone get in their sweet spot, if you will. I want them to have wisdom and discernment about where they are and what's going on in the earth today so that I can use them in a powerful, eternal way. Listen, when we look back on this whole thing, and we will one day, hear me, we're going to look back on this whole thing. You know that, don't you? One day we'll be on that side looking back this way, and it's not that far away, really, in the scope of things. We'll be doing that. And when we're looking back on this thing, I want to be able to look back and go, praise God! I stayed in my lane. I, ran, I hate to look back and go, oh, God. And we're all going to have a few of those possible moments, I'm sure. But you know what? That's why God's speaking to us today, right now. That's why you're here today. He thought, you know, I'm here because my sister invited me. I don't know why I'm here. I told you we should have stayed home, honey. Now, now we're responsible for all this stuff. I mean, <laughs> it's terrible. Terrible or wonderful, depending on how you're looking at it. Terrible or wonderful, depending on how you're looking at it. Wisdom. You want to know some wisdom? Teach us to number our days so that you'll apply your heart. We'll all apply our hearts to wisdom. Wisdom is working together. We're, we've all got work to do, but the most beneficial way to work and to receive reward is to work together. Let me read to you Ecclesiastes 4 and 9. You know it, but let me give it to you anyways. Two are better than one because they have a good or a better reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. This is why I am not for this idea of coming out of assemblies of believers, people that want to just go do things in isolated forms. We need to be connected to the body. Yeah. 
We need each other. Why? Because when one falls, the other can help lift the other one up. And we have a better reward when we're laboring together than we'll ever do by ourselves. Woe to him who's alone when he falls because he has not another to lift him up. And again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail again against one who is alone, two will withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. You know, there's, there's, a, there's an authority and a grace and an anointing that comes over us when we're together that you can never have when you're alone. That's just a fact. Well, I hear people say it all the time. Well, I've got the Holy Ghost. I've got everything I'll ever need. I don't believe that's true. I believe in the Holy Spirit, and I believe he is everything, and if I'm all alone because there's no other choice, then amen, I've got everything I'm ever going to need. But if I had a choice to be with somebody else, I don't think in any way this is how God's wired it. It's not the way it works. God designed you and me to need each other. The eye cannot say of the hand, I have no need of you. We need one another. And so here in Ecclesiastes, the book of wisdom, he's saying, if one comes against you and you're by yourself, we're talking about an enemy, a devil, a demon, a bad thing against your life. You know, he might prevail against one who was alone, but two, come on, two together will withstand him. That's why the prayer of agreement is so powerful. If any two of you on earth touching anything will say, God says, I'll, I'll give it to you. He's saying there's something I've ordained a blessing in your union with other people in Christ. And a threefold cord, wow, is not quickly broken. Better is a poor, listen to this, better is a poor and wise youth or young person than an old and foolish king who no longer know how to take advice. That's pretty powerful. I'm going to read it again. Better, better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knows how to take advice. That's all in the context of working together. I pray those of you that are on in years that you don't get so set in your ways that you can't take advice when it's God giving it. And that's a relative term on in years. Notice I don't set an actual age on that. That's the gift of wisdom <laughs> in operation. If you're looking and wanting to see a demonstration of that gift, that was it. I just wanted to make sure you knew that. Pushing together is wise counsel. That's really what Solomon just finished talking about. He said, work together. Don't go isolate. Don't just do your own thing. Find ways to connect and engage in the big picture. And I know I've told this story a lot for those of you that have been here, but it's one of my favorite stories. Jesus. And I'm just going to tell it again. Jesus. My mom says, good. You know, it's, I've got this little cheering corner right here. I've got a <laughs> wife and I've got a mom. And uh, it's awesome. When y'all are scowling, they're going, we still love you. <laughs> we still love you. It keeps me moving. So working together matters, makes a big difference. So here's the story. So I was working at a paper mill in Jacksonville. 
Look, listen to the chuckles. <laughs> it is what it is. I love the story. It's one of my favorite. First day on the job, I'm uh, part of the cleanup crew. They're having problems, and they've got these huge tanks, huge, huge tanks, full of this cooked wood chips. It's like pulp, they call it, but it looks like oatmeal, real thick oatmeal. And uh, it's used to make paper out of it. They cook the wood chips, and they use it to push it to the paper machine. And they're having problems, and these tanks, these enormous tanks, are running over into the street. And the streets are this deep in this woodstock, oatmeal-y looking stuff, okay? I got a brand new pair of boots on that I'm so proud of. Redmond boots, steel-toed leather Redmond boots. I bought these things because I want to be comfortable all day long. And my first job is out there. I'm handed a push broom, and I'm told with a bunch of other guys who are working in the yard department. Now, how does that do for your image? <laughs> the yard department. And, um, and our job is to push all of this stuff toward a drain and somebody would be there with a hose trying to soup it up to make it go down these drains. And then these tanks are running over. You know, then they'd stop for a little while and they were out there with these brooms and this stuff's heavy and wet and we're pushing it. And just as soon as you felt like you were making a little progress, it was hot and wet, steamy out, the tank would run over again. And uh, got really discouraged, you know. I, I, I'm, I'm thinking, <coughs> Has anybody told the boss that that tank is running over? I mean, <laughs> I mean, this was just, it was really getting discouraging. And I'm thinking, this is day one. My new boots are soaking wet. Yeah, it's not a bad pay check, but I, I don't know if I'm going to keep doing this. I, don't, I just don't think this is me. Doesn't feel right. <laughs> so finally, they got the tanks under control, but there was a huge street. I'm talking streets full. This parking lot. I mean, just massive area of stu stuff laying around. And we're there with brooms pushing this stuff. And somebody got this really God-given idea. And the idea was this. Instead of us all working independently, pushing, what would happen if we took our brooms and we linked them together in the shape, in the shape rather, of a C, like this? Because see, up to this point, what would happen? Every time you take your broom, you'd push it. All the stuff would roll around the edges of your broom. I mean, you get a little bit to move forward. You'd move it forward, but everything just kind of, you know, so it was really not very efficient. And there we all working hard and discouraged by the mess. When this idea came on the table that we all put our things together, we were all kind of weary and tired at that point and ready to try anything. And I honestly have to say, I think the church is getting to the point where she's getting wearied and tired of just kind of independent stuff, doing our own things, you know. It's like God saying, are you done yet? Because there is a better way. We can actually get some stuff done. I'm telling you, we put our brooms together, and it was like the heavens opened and the angels began singing. <laughs> now, I know that's a little, not much, it's a little bit of an exaggeration, but, but the atmosphere around us was that way. And, and when we began to push, it's like we grabbed all of this stuff at once together, and we began moving huge quantities at the same moment. We looked at each other, Hope came alive. Jesus. There's hope. We can get this job done. The sense of, oh my gosh, I'm powerful. <laughs> As opposed to, my life is meaningless. <laughs> it's pointless. I mean, who wants to live, you know? I mean, I got eight more hours of this. Is it lunch yet? I mean, you know, it's kind of like, we went, we went from depression 
Come on, you know what? You're laughing because I'm talking right to you. <laughs> Hopelessness, depression, out there just kind of beating our own thing, doing our own thing, to just getting in order. Just getting in order. Just getting in our place. Just realizing that I was made to be beside you and you were made to be beside me. And we were made to push together. That's the deal. Made for it. I mean, we've, it was, it was, I, I wish, I'm sure when I get to heaven, I'm going to pull that video up. I'm going to say, can we, can we go back to that? I want to see that again. I know you're going to want to see it too. You're not even going to ask for your own. So you can say, I want to see Pastor Rob's broom story. First thing you're going to ask when you get there. And do you have any peanuts? I need some peanuts. I mean, just, we just want to check this out. You know, the reality is, I'm giving you right now the invitation to do the same thing. You know what? Let's, go, let's, let's create a video today. Let's, let's create something that in eternity we'll watch together. Hear me today. Let's do something together for God. Let's, let's get our lives you know, you got stuff that's, that's working against you that's keeping you apart from each other. How about we resolve those conflicts and we say, you know what, I need you. Forgive me for despising you. Forgive me for letting that little pointless, meaningless offense rip me off from my ability to close the gap between the broom. Because even though, you know, a lot of times, we, there's ways, I'm sure you can measure the distance between our brooms is the, is the amount of, uh, the, the lack of traction we're getting on the assignment. The distance between our brooms is the way you would measure that. God is saying, come on. Choose a spot. Ecclesiastes tells us, whatsoever your hand finds to do. You know, what is, you say, well, pastor, I'm not sure where I'm supposed to be. Let me tell you, typically, here's just a rule of thumb. It's not, you know, a hard, fast science necessarily, but just simple. I think God's into simple. Simple is, what kind of things motivate you and stir you up? Why is it you're burdened about certain things and other people are not burdened about those things? Chances are it's because God's put something in you toward that area. When I first came into this church, many, many years back, I was burdened over the youth and the children. Because I, I, at that time, they were like, a sheep, like sheep without a shepherd. There was nothing happening for them. And I was burdened for them. It was a small, little small congregation at that time. And in my heart, nobody asked me. There was just something in my heart. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it. And I'm not saying just go off and, you know, I'm going to talk. I'm almost done. Trust me, I think, because time doesn't permit. <laughs> but I got to say to you, uh, you know, more often than not, you know, you might be waiting for somebody to ask you, but maybe, maybe God's waiting for you to volunteer. You know, and, and maybe it's not some, you know, your, your, your vision of your future. I don't want to do that because that's not what I feel like God's called me to. God's called me to the masses. I'm going to evangelize on a stage in Africa. I can see them. Awesome. Here, here's a broom. Go sweep the parking lot. Because those masses are on the other end of that broom in the parking lot. We've missed, we've, we've lost sight of that one altogether. You know, 
If God can trust you in the cave, He can trust you on the throne. If God can't trust you in the cave, I'm talking about David in the cave of Adullam and all the troubles. If God can't trust you there, why would He put you on the throne? The secret things, the hidden things, the things where nobody's looking except you and your service to Christ. Those are the things that God is making his choices through. It's where he makes his choices. I think God chooses us sometimes in the furnace of affliction. Affliction, places where it's tough, it's not glamorous, it's not a lot of fanfare. Oh, I can't go on today. Time fails me to tell of Joseph in prison. Great vision. Great calling. Was just dumb enough to announce it to everybody. (laughs) And then he ends up going through hell backwards. Dragged and ripped through all kinds of stuff. But in each situation, God's proving him faithful to use his gifts even while in prison. You know that. Joseph was in prison interpreting dreams. He could have just checked out and said, Fooey, I'm not using my gifts here until you get me out of here, God. God, until you get me out of the situation, I'm not going to do what you've asked me to do. I wonder if anybody said that. I'll, I'll get on with the call once you fix this, Lord. And God says, how about you get on with the call right where you are? How about you interpret dreams where you are? How about you be a blessing right where you are? How about you serve right where you are? How about whatever your hand is finding to do, do it. I, I, I just feel... Paul says, I'm writing this to you with my own hand. And then he says this, remember my chains. In essence, what he's saying is I'm writing while in chains. Meaning, my chains haven't stopped me from writing. And guess what? That was a couple thousand years ago and we're still reading what he wrote while in chains. What are your chains? What are your limits? What are the things that make you say, I can't do that now? I'm not going to run around. I'm going to walk this time. (laughs) Don't know why. Just feeling it. What is it that makes you feel like you can't answer the call? It's my family, my kids, my job. I'm just depressed, and once I get out of my depression, could it be you're depressed because the devil's seduced you into isolation and you've lost connection? You've, you're not, you're alone in your push. And God's saying, I want to. I want to connect you better. I want to get you in. And, and all of these things, you know, I go back to the video we started with. Many times we're running hard, doing the best we can, and something happens. It has nothing to do with your own sin. It has nothing. It's, something happens sometimes. It just hits us blindsided. You know, and that may be you. Maybe you've had a situation or a set of circumstances that have just taken your legs out from under you. 
But I believe today the Spirit of God's here to come alongside of you and say, come on, we're going to cross this thing anyways, and you're not alone. Together. So I'm going to throw a principle in front of you, and then I'm going to land the airplane here today. Principle. Two have a better reward for their labor than one. Nehemiah's wall, to me, is a beautiful account of great wisdom given by God to a man named Nehemiah during the reconstruction of the wall around Jerusalem. And you know the story. In 52 days, they erected a wall that was a pile of rubble. I mean, it was an amazing uh, just daunting task. These are huge stones. And Nehemiah, because a life of prayer, a life of, uh, of, of petitioning and, and holding himself before the Lord and listening to the Lord, got a strategy from God. And the strategy was pretty simple. He assigned people to various places on the wall. And he said, here's your place. This is, you know, and some people had glorious places like the dung gate. You don't know what dung is. Dung is the waste, the toilet, the, the latrine, the, the septic tank gate. Imagine having that assignment as your family, huh? All these various places on the wall. And he said, listen, I want you to go, and you work. And they discovered they had some enemies. And uh, in the course of that, they discovered that they would have to be vigilant. And they got to a point where they developed some really unique strategies to deal with the fact that the devil didn't like what they were doing. You know, I, I see so many people, myself included, who often we get engaged in the work and we forget that we have an adversary, the devil. That's a fact, who goes about seeking whom he may devour. So Nehemiah's in his day, he... He developed a strategy and they had people that worked with both a trowel for putting mortar on and a sword in the other hand. And they developed strategies. But one of the unique strategies they had, so they all had their unique spot, their lane to run in, their area of work to attend to. But one of the unique strategies that he came up with is that if we're ever under siege or if there's ever a moment when we all need to pull together, here's what we're going to do. We're going to sound a trumpet. And at the sound of that trumpet, Whatever you're doing in your place, you're supposed to go where the trumpet is and we're going to together defend that part of the work and of the ministry on that part of the wall and together we'll succeed. And so sure enough, everybody was busy doing their thing. And here's the concept that I believe is still valid and I'm hoping as a pastor, I'm hoping you're hearing me today, I'm hoping to employ more and more as a local church, okay? Everybody should be engaged somewhere doing something for the king. Amen. I'm convinced of it. Somewhere. Something you rolled up in something. Okay? Find your spot. Well, I'm going to keep teaching, by the way, on the gifts. and you know, There's all kinds of places that you can utilize your talents and your giftings. But everybody should be plugged in somewhere. But there should also be this kind of wisdom that when the trumpet is sounded and it said, we need to... okay. I know what you're doing is important and I know what you're doing. You've been working on it hard and you're right about to lay that final block. I know I get it, I get it, but I need you to stop for a moment. And I need you to come over here and I need together, I need you to push with me on this area because we're getting ready to drive out some enemies that have come to take us down. 
Amen. And if a people can get that wisdom, think, let me, I just, just think for a second with me about this. Let's just say you refuse, or Nehemiah had refused to do that. His people had refused to do that. And they said, you know what? There's that silly trumpet again. <laughs> I'm just tired of going to the trumpet. I'm just not doing the trumpet thing. Nobody appreciates me. Nobody sees what I'm doing. Nobody even pats me on the back. I'm, you know what? Everybody else will go to the trumpet. I'm hanging out here. And I'm just doing what I do. What's going to happen on the day when the enemy comes to your section of the wall? And nobody shows up where you are. Think about it. I'm telling you, if everybody adopted that mentality, that work wouldn't have been finished. They would have been overcome by their enemies. But I'm here to say God's got a better plan, a better way, and good news. So I, I, I want to announce this as a principle by which we do business here in this local church. Okay? My great burden, I can use that word, I think, okay here, is that I don't want to blow trumpets... Um, wrong times or unnecessary times. I don't want to just keep blowing it this way and blowing it that way and get everybody all frantic and frazzled with trumpet blowing. Okay? So I covet your prayers as one of probably the, the primary people who would announce such a blowing of a trumpet or so on. Okay? I, I realize that weight sits on me. It's not a light thing. I take it very seriously because I don't want to discourage. I want to see us effective. But I am asking that when we blow that together we'll say, okay, let's push together. Because think about it again, we're all in eternity. And we're looking back with our peanuts watching the video. And you go, remember, remember? Remember when that happened? Oh, that was so awesome. <laughs> Look, I left what I was doing. Wasn't that cool? I joined my broom. <laughs> oh, man. I was so powerful that day. I felt the glory of God. Did you see how Fernandina Yuli changed? And how from that little place, nations were shaken. Did you see it? Did you feel it? Did you touch it? Did you know it? I'm telling you it's God's reality. It's God's reality. By faith. By faith. How, pastor, are we going to do that? By faith. We've got two things right now. Where's my, where's my shofar? Can I use your shofar, Cheryl? Yes. Or, actually, why don't you blow your shofar? I want to blow a trumpet here. But because I've got a frog in my throat... It wouldn't sound like a trumpet. It would sound like a dying cow. <laughs> Praise God. I want to blow this trumpet. And I want to call us to two areas right now. They're just immediate things coming up on our radar. And I want to call us to them. Call us to them in prayer. Call us to them in participation. Call us to them in however God is moving on you to get involved with this. But I want, I want you to hear it. Go ahead and blow the trumpet. Thank you. 
you, Lord. Yes, Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. I love the sound of that shofar. Praise God. It was used of old to call God's people to attention, to worship, to war. Used for all kinds of things. So here's, so here's, uh, you got your broom? Come on, get your broom with me. So here's what we're calling right now. November 5th, Thursday night. This, this year marks the 20th year Faith Christian Academy has been educating kids. 20 years. And I got to tell you something. It's, it's had some major wars and conflicts in the last few years. Major. A lot of things trying to take it out, take it down, discourage, break its, its ministry, and so on. But God, by His sovereign hand, nobody can even tell you how it happened other than God, out of nowhere, sent us 40 kids this year. We can't even tell you. I mean, we, there, was, there was people working and people doing laboring hard, Brian and the staff and teachers and people here. And, I mean, just wonderful parents and stuff. But I'm just telling you, it's been a full-on conflict. New kids. Yeah, I'm not talking 40 kids. Total. I'm talking 40 new kids showed up at our door at the beginning of this year. And again, we can't even tell you how it happened. There was actually a group trying to figure it out. <laughs> <coughs> So we could market it, you know? I mean, whatever. <laughs> Not really, just <laughs> trying to figure it out. Forty kids. It's as if God's saying, I'm with you. I want you to know your labor's not been in vain. And I'm getting ready in the midst of a world that's so sideways, so lost its way, I'm getting ready to move again and raise up a generation of young people who are on fire for me and who have the goods to penetrate their society. Now, it's not the only place it's happening, but it's a place right here that God's given it to us. And so on the 20th, thank you, on the 20th, I'm sorry, not the 20th, the 5th, I'm thinking I got dates running all through my mind. On the 5th, maybe something's going on on the 20th and I was just seeing by the Spirit there. Maybe I'll, we'll let you know about that later, but I doubt it. On the 5th, 20 years that's what it was, yeah. On the 5th, we're having a, a celebration and a push. It's an annual fund push for the school. We're inviting people outside the community, in the, within the community, business people, sponsoring tables and the such. Maybe you have a burden for Christian education and you want to see something happen and you've got some dollars you've been sticking to the side and you've been wondering, God, what do I do with these things? This would be an amazing place to sow that money. I'm just telling you, God's hand is on it and good things are happening with it. Maybe you know somebody, amen, who, who is a, a, an advocate or is looking or need. I'm just saying it's time for us to push with the Spirit of God and I say it unashamedly. There is a time to everything and a season before God. And if we miss what I'm considering to be God stepping down with us and saying, I'm ready to push with you. Are you willing to push with me? That's what I hear God saying. He's saying, come on. You know, it's kind of like this. It's kind of like them fishing all night long and catching nothing and Jesus showing up. It's really kind of like that. And Jesus gets in the boat and he speaks for a little bit out of an empty vessel. You know, Jesus speaks really well when things are empty. 
And there he is preaching and speaking. And when he's done, he says to those who've been trying all night long, he says, come on back, get in. We're going to do this again. And Peter says, well, Lord, you know, we've already tried. And he says, at your word, we're going to do this. And he goes out and you know the story. They took in a harvest so great that they had to ask for help from their brethren or their nets would have broken and torn. I believe when Jesus shows up and says, I'm here to do it my way and in my time, that things, it's only right for us to show up and say, okay, Lord, nevertheless, at your word, we will let down our net. So trumpet call number one is this push with the school right now, immediate. I know many of you are pushing in other areas. I know, I see you daubing your bricks. I see you, and I'm not saying forsake your place. I'm just saying we got a moment. We got a moment to make a difference. And it could be through a relationship you have. So here's practical things, practical stuff. If you're interested in coming to the event, we have limited seating. The kids are going to play their stringed orchestra. There's going to be some wonderful things, a beautiful night, a meal, and so on is provided. And then there's going to be an opportunity to give to the school. Okay? That's the fifth. Maybe you know somebody that would be better suited. You can get tickets through the office. Just check in with the office and say, I'm going to do my best to get involved with that thing and help promote it. Maybe you're just saying, I don't know what to do, but I'm going to show up to the office and say, what can I do to help? Anything you need me to help? Set down, tear up, move something. Uh, here's what I can do. Here's what I can't do. You know, I'm available. Whatever. I'm just saying to you, please hear the sound. I know you can walk out of here today and go, another thing to do. No, there's tons of stuff to do. What I'm saying today is the trumpet's blowing because of a timing. It's a timing. And it's a time to move some stuff together. We've got this fall festival that's also related to the school. Great place to get involved with. Okay, those are school things. Pray you hang out after this meeting just for 15 minutes when this preacher shuts up. I'm really working on it. Second thing is I want you to be praying for the group going to India. That's it. Hold us up. We've got a team pushing out. I believe God's going to do some amazing things in India. These are two key areas. They're, we're not taking it lightly. That area of the world is getting more and more um, resistant, if you will, to uh, people coming, uh, you know, bringing the gospel. We have a great path and great people that we've known there and so on. But uh, we're asking for your covering and your participation in that way as this team pushes out, okay? Which is the Sunday after that event. The Sunday after that event. So the Thursday night is the event. That Sunday, this group moves out and we head out into the nations, okay? So those are the two things. Praise God. Amen. Come on, stand up. Jesus. Get your broom. You <laughs> say, Pastor, I didn't bring my broom. I see it. You've got it. Just get it out. I want to do, I want to just give us a chance here this morning to just, uh, <laughs> I want us to, in our own heart, in our own way, be able to say to God, God, you know what? Hey, that was a good message. I liked that message, Lord. But I don't know what I'm going to do with that message. <laughs> I feel like God's wanting us to just be honest. Amen? And give our response to the Lord today. You know, the story where he says to the two sons, go and do this. And one says, I'm not doing that. And the other says, yes, I'll go do it right away. They both left. The one who said he would do it didn't do it. And the one who said he wouldn't do it got walking down the road somewhere 
And all of a sudden he said, you know what? <laughs> I really need to do that. And he turned around and Jesus asked the simple question, which one did the will of his father? And they said, well, not the one who said he would, the one who turned around and did. And so what I love about that is simple. The guy was honest and said, you know what? I don't, I don't think I'm going to do that or I don't want to do that. It's okay to be honest with God. But in your heart, you're open for God to come and impart his desires to you. I want to pray right now. Father, in Jesus' name, I just want to thank you for putting us here at this time in history. More than just a church meeting today. A call from heaven sounding in this place right here today. I hear it. It's ringing in my spirit, Lord. I hear your call saying, beseeching us to come and present ourselves to you. Father, I don't want to spend my life pushing my own broom, getting discouraged and beaten up. I want to join and lock arms with a company of people who are going to make a difference together. Everybody doing their part, gaining strength from one another, encouragement. Lord, I thank you for the blessing that you've ordained that comes over a people who begin to push together. And I want to thank you today. God, I can only answer from me right now. But I'm saying to you, Lord, here am I. Lord, I have all my own ambitions and desires for my life, but I lay them at your feet again. Just publicly, Lord, I just announce it before you and those here. I give you my life. In your own way, why don't you just consider some kind of personal prayer? Maybe it's different words you use, but I just, just would you take a second where you are? Jesus. Lord, I pray we wouldn't be stuck in our old habits and rituals, unable or unwilling. Lord, I pray for a fresh wave of grace over this congregation. God, I thank you for such a, a voluntary willingness in the day of your power. I thank you for, for just a, a wave of grace coming over this place that's going to ripple through the generations. Lord, I thank you when we get to glory and we look back, we're not going to despise this moment. But we're going to say, wow, look what God did. I thank you for it, Father. I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise God, that's it.